the Tom Flowers Cricket Coaching Podcast, brought to you by Bespoke Cricket, Rutland's premium cricket brand. For the best bats, pads and gloves, check out bespoke-cricket.co.uk. Here's what's coming up on the podcast. I do think that the days of a pure cricket scholarship have potentially fell away. Where are the the white working class role models in our current England setups for these guys to look at and go, ah, oh, there's Freddie Flintoff. Even if I'd wanted to, I'm not sure I could have afforded to trial to, from the age of 22 to 25. I just don't think that would have worked. Do you have a local club or cricket signposted to you in your formative years? If you don't, I think it's very much an uphill battle. Now, on with the podcast. Now, whilst I said the majority of youngsters from my experience will embrace the opportunity given, there is no doubt the argument of, I guess, an ingrained privilege. And we see this at political level, don't we? We talk about, you know, Eton and Harrow um, pupils going on to work in politics, etc. And an example of that ingrained privilege is that until recently, the Harrow v Eton schoolboy match, this schoolboy match, traditionally has been played at Lords, and Lords obviously being the home of cricket and the ultimate. Now I got to play at Lords once. It's still one of the proudest moments of my life, one of the greatest days. But I, I damn well earned that day. I worked my nuts off up until the age of nineteen to get to play there at nineteen. And as a someone who's who's worked their way through the system. It, that would bother me that guys just by the school you can go to can get opportunity to do something that in my opinion should be at the pinnacle of or, or a highlight to date of a cricketer's career at, at that sort of age so that took a lot of years of graft to get there yet there'll be guys playing there as they become cricketers on the cricketing journey that have potentially been given that opportunity for me too easily so there are two, there are there is no doubt an ingrained privilege um, within the system somewhere. I think it's becoming less and less. What I would say is that we still work very closely with local schools, um, Arundel School. We do with their girls cricket. We work with the middle school at Oakham School, boys and girls. Uh, we do a lot with Loughborough Grammar School as well. And the facilities we get to work at, the staff that we work alongside fantastic and they're most of all just great environments for the youngsters to be in coming back to my own journey coming through the Leicestershire county age group sides our county age group side was quite an anomaly i'd say we were very much a nucleus of our side was state school boys which i say nucleus it's probably 60 40 um which is very unusual but what we did is we had a, a, a an age group where we're all good mates and we we got on very well and we kept a side together that ultimately enjoyed each other's company and it was unusual. It was a very unusual side to be him, but we got on really well together. We went on tours, etc., South Africa, etc. But in my county age group, there was only myself who played any sort of representative honours um, and obviously I left the game relatively young at the age of 21 but there'd be others who were in my county side I think back now who are tradesmen they might be self-employed work on building sites etc and manual labourers who they couldn't afford to have gone to university and had opportunities through that way and um, they couldn't have created they couldn't have afforded to you know get to 16 
as a, as a young cricketer and saying mum and dad you know I really want to push on and the best place for me to be is in a in a private school and obviously there's the scholarship debate then so there are scholarships and they're more and more common now having been on the other side of the fence the sports scholarship's an interesting thing for those who don't know I'll explain it to you so you get a percentage of your fees off now let's say a, a reasonable private school in the tops sort of 10 15 20 private schools in the country you're looking at about 35 35 grand a year now, these schools may offer slight incentives, you know, 10% off your fees for a sports scholarship, 15% off your fees, 5% off your fees, whatever that might be. 10% off 35 grand, not forgetting that that's five years you've got to send them through, right, if you're not, not going to move them, or if you're going to send them to sixth form, that's two years. 5%, 10% is not a lot of money off the full amount. And I think that the misconception is that, oh, he's been, and I was offered a 50% scholarship to go to Oakham School at the age of 14. I got teed up, I got showed around Oakham, Frank Hayes, great, you know, this is your boarding house, this is where you're going to go, this is your scholarship. Oh, by the way, it's 50% off. And my mum and dad, a nurse, my dad had come out of his job, was in sales and then became a gardener. Um, They couldn't afford 50% of, of a lot. You know, it's, it's still a lot of money. And I think that the scholarship system works if you are, if you have parents that can afford to contribute, but also if you are lucky enough to be in a position where you get a fully funded scholarship. But then, there's, like I say, there are other sides to that. There's the pressure that comes with that. There's the expectation. There's the fact that the school are going to hold on to you as much as possible. And if you are outstanding in the game of cricket... Are you going to get released to go and play county representative games, second 11 games over the school commitments? Whereas if you don't get anything off, you it felt to me whether in the sector like you held a bit more of a bit more power there. If you like to say, well, no, actually my, my son's going off to play his county game or he's got this. So I do think there's two sides to that. So full scholarships are rare. And again, there's the internal politics because I've been part of sports departments where I've been consulted as a as the cricket master, head of cricket. And um, it's clear that the, the rugby coach has his agenda. The director of sport have their agenda. The hockey coach has their agenda. And from my experience, because the way a lot of the schools are going now, which is producing good all-rounders as opposed to throwing all the eggs in a hockey basket, all the eggs in a cricket basket... I think that some schools, not all, but your sort of mid-table schools, you know, forget your Millfields, your Kings, Tauntons, they're, they're always going to, your Whitgifts, they're always going to throw money at their cricket. But your middle-range schools perhaps have a different remit now. They're probably looking for more good all-rounders who are not just going to contribute on the cricket field, but they might be able to contribute to the rugby team. They probably can contribute towards hockey if they've got good hand-eye. They're going to be reasonable academics. They can be potential prefects. I think that, you know, good ambassadors for the school. So I do think that in the same way that the classic cricket pro, the test name, doesn't carry as much weight anymore because schools are looking ultimately to run a business and for more of an all-rounder, I do think that the days of a pure cricket scholarship have potentially fell away, which for guys who are at state school, if they are being targeted and you know identified within a county age group programme and they, they can't afford to contribute any percentage, that's a real shame. So I do think that's something that potentially hasn't been spoken about, that the lack of full scholarships. And obviously the flip side to that is, is that a lot of the guys who are in the county age group have come through prep school, so junior primary schools, private primary schools, if you like, is the terminology, and they're cherry-picked from there. So you've got guys who probably already can afford it, 
getting discount off something they could afford without discount. And I'll tell a story. It was one teacher who had four four sons at the school. Categorically, all four were never going to be good enough to be professional sportsmen at all. Yet, guess what? All four of them, and I was in a meet one of the meetings. I know at least I remember. But all four of them got sports scholarships. Okay, so they've saved whatever it was, 10% on their fees, which they could afford, but they've all been awarded sports scholarships. Now, is that the system being used in the right way? I'm not sure. So there are different insights into the sports scholarship schemes that these schools do offer that I think it is worth just touching on and discussing there. On that note, I do think the talent identification from the schools needs to be hotter. So you can't just say, here's your school open day, come and try out for a scholarship. Because I'm not being funny, going through state school myself, how many times did Longfield, Melton Mowbray get a letter through the door saying, any good sportsmen or women you've got here, there's a scholarship day on this date. It doesn't happen. They don't pick from your state schools. They pick from your prep schools, your private primary schools, or they pick from county age groups. So again, and even then, like I said, the best county age group players might be from that prep school background so there is a clear problem in my opinion with the system whereby the conversations between schools and the county coaches aren't happening enough and not only that but when they do are the correct people being looked at so there's no point if someone's able to afford it so rather than let's flip it on its head rather than looking at they're not able to afford something so that's means tested so to speak let's look at it the other way if they can afford it, why the hell should they be getting discount? Save that discount, add it up and give it to someone who can't. So there are interesting ways of looking at that. Role models. So the Flintoff program got me thinking about role models and I saw the way Flintoff came across very personable, got on such a level with these guys. You know, he, 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 he didn't lower his standards and he didn't try and be cool. But what he did do is say, look, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I was in your position and relating to them in such a way with he, he's got a broad northern accent, hasn't he? And he really, whilst I think he's giving a bit of banter from his Wikipedia profile, whatever it was, he took it really well. And actually, he wasn't afraid to be self-deprecating and get on their level. One of the boys said, oh... Freddie used to go to one of the chippy round my corner. Guys like that can relate to Flintoff, but again, Flintoff was one of the few state educated in that team. And I think that brings the wider issue of role models. When you hear the guys interviewed, and I'll pick out Joss Butler, for example. Um, Queen's English, Joss. Um, I listen to him, and I look at him and go, you are a million miles away from my upbringing, from what I've had and from what, I've been exposed to um, and so that's me someone you know who's, who's managed to get on in life and, and, and now is you know making a career as a cricket coach and you know I think Josh is fantastic I think he's brilliant and you know what he's done for English cricket and the youngsters next generation is fantastic but I'm just trying to put myself in the position of some of these guys on Flintoff's program and they're going to hear Butler talk they're going to hear him come across and what are they thinking because they're struggling to relate to Freddie they're not going to relate to him. And I guess it's like the argument with, with Moeen and Adil Rashid with the British Asian community and the great role models that them two provide. Where are the 
the white working class role models in our current England setups of these guys to look at and go, oh, there's Freddie Flintoff. But it does open up that question of, you know, is this a, is this a self-fulfilling cycle where, like I say, the percentages is, you know, over 90% private to state education. And I think that the more we see, we call it in, in, in the game, how character, he's a bit of a character or, but what people actually shame more a bit of a character, Freddie's a bit of a character. No, what they mean is they're normal people who you can relate to. So I do think the England setup and the team have got some work to do if you like to inspire these state school kids and youngsters to get them into cricket at entry level by providing more of a relatable role model i don't mean that by poor standards or anything i just mean somebody these kids can go well yeah he, he or she's like me and i you know i want to be like that i think so i think that's worth mentioning as well hopefully i've given you a bit of a rounded view there of, of the state v private school sector sort of up until university age now the final thing i want to touch on today is second 11 cricket so i was fortunate to play six full seasons of second 11 cricket and then a bit of minor counties cricket after but even even so i made the decision at a uh, the age of 21 to come out of the game partly due to the fact i felt very burnt out sort of mentally burnt out from from wanting to be a cricketer from the age of six to the age of 21 and feeling i'd given it everything i could but also partly because the real world kicks in and I knew that I had to stand on my own two feet and two things for me. Number one, I don't want to get left behind by guys and my peers who didn't go into the game and went on to get into careers, into grad jobs or into the working world. And number two, I didn't really have a choice because the schemes weren't in place at the time where the counties were expected to look after under 24-year-olds well, pay them fairly expenses, pay them a match fee. You know, I can remember countless times chasing... 100 quid, 150 quid here, 50 quid here from Leicester for my expenses on my match fee. And that felt almost awkward. And I guess that takes its toll as well after a while, doesn't it? And um, the way that I look at that now, and, and it was happening when I was in the second 11, and there was lots of trialists on the side and people you played with and against. And again, coming back to guys that you relate to, there were clearly guys that I'm sure there still is, who they're financially able well off enough let's say to be able to fund what I would call the trialists lifestyle where they can finish university or they can get to 18 19 and say I'm going to focus solely on my cricket now knowing that they don't have to balance it with a part-time job to, to finance it knowing that if after three years it doesn't work out they've got a job lined up for them already or, you know what, I've still got a degree to fall back on. If it doesn't work by 24, I'll have three years of trialling around. Parents will fund me, and then ultimately I'll go into a full-time job. And that's something, again, that isn't always highlighted. We look at state school players, usually in their earlier years and their teens. We don't always look at the state school cricketer that's maybe left school and gone to university or maybe beyond that. So I'm just talking as... You know, even if I'd wanted to, I'm not sure I could have afforded to trial till from the age of 22 to 25. I just don't think that would have worked. So that's a different perspective that I wanted to give you guys on on the state v private school um, debate. Hope that's of interest to you all, and I hope it's given you a different view or angle on the way that um, the way the system is um, for state school guys coming through. I believe there is a way, but the factors I've, I've attributed to there are absolutely crucial 
parental influence? Are you surrounded or do you have a local club or cricket signposted to you in your formative years? If you don't, I think it's very much an uphill battle. Your private school guys who are lucky enough to go there, great, you've got the opportunity, but are you gonna take it? And I suspect there's a lot of regret within the private school sector of youngsters who have gone through the system thinking, didn't really make the most of that. So there's youngsters who aren't going to get the chance and there's youngsters to make the most of it because they don't get the opportunity. But there's those who are who don't take the opportunity. And I think that's the way I want to leave today's podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this and hopefully you'll tune in next time for our next episode of the TFCC podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a review and follow us so you never miss an episode.